The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, do you want to retire Nancy Pelosi? Do you want to end the socialism in this country? Win the House, five seats. I do not know what the Chinese party and government has on the Democrats, but it is so powerful. It is so powerful, it is scary. The amount of money that actually goes to defeating the virus is less than 9%. Outside of the swamp, who are struggling through school closures, including the one million mothers who had to quit their jobs to take care of their kids at home with school and the fathers that quit, you are ignored. So don't call it a rescue bill. Don't call it a relief bill. The number one priority you got elected to Congress to do, forget everything else. I want to make sure I get more taxpayer money to fund my own campaign. I gotta make sure I get reelected, not that the kids go back to school. Democrats call HR1 for the People Act, but it really should be called for the Politicians Act. It's not designed to protect Americans' vote. It's designed to put a thumb on the scale in every election in America so that Democrats can turn a temporary majority into a permanent control. I wanna look ahead at the 2022 midterm elections from the Republican perspective. This is the first in a series of discussions I'll be having with key Republican leaders about how we can win back the House and the Senate in 2022. And frankly, I couldn't think of anybody better to help kick off this series than my good guest, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who is the Republican leader in the House. I've known Kevin for years. He was first elected to Congress in 2006. 
but before that, he was in the California legislature, and before that, he worked in the Congress. So I thought his commitment to America in the last election was the kind of forward thinking we need to win in 2022, and I have no doubt that he will be the next Republican Speaker of the House in 2022. Kevin, first, thank you for joining. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm proud to be back with you. And I want to start with the 2020 election, which from the standpoint of the Democrats was a great shock because all the so-called professional analysts had said they would probably gain 10 or 15 seats. And instead, you won 15 seats and you did not lose a single Republican incumbent, which is the first time since 1994 that no Republican incumbent lost. How did you visualize the 2020 campaign and focus in on getting the kind of commitment that you got? Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, I was very proud of that number, that it was only the first time since you were leading in 1994 that no Republican incumbent lost. And what was even sweeter about it was every single person in politics said our best night would be minus 10. They predicted 15 to 20 seats lost and not one lost. Another little known fact of the 15 seats we won, every Democrat was beat by a Republican woman or a Republican minority, every single one of them. Another little fact, okay, about 152 million votes, we were 31,751 votes away from winning the majority out of 152 million. That is how close we came. Wow. The other little fact, only three times in the history of America did the party in the White House lose and the party still gained seats. 1892, 1992, and 2020. In the other two instances, both times they gained the majority in the next election. So a few other facts of how we went about doing it. The plan was pretty straightforward. You were correct about the commitment to America. Our candidates used this throughout. It told us what we are for. We are for rebuilding, renewing, and restoring America. But we contrast it with said exactly what the Democrats were there. They want to defund, dismantle what we knew. And we specifically said what we would do, whereas the Democrats wanted to defund the police, we wanted to add $1.75 billion. In there, that added 500,000 more body cameras. Look what we'd go about doing. We said we'd have a vaccine by 2020. We did that, proved it. But there's a couple things, and you're a man who loves history. I love to listen to you. But if you watched the similarities in modern history with the U.S. and the U.K., the movement of the Republicans, the movement of Brexit and others, you had Boris Johnson, who just had an election. Boris's own brother quits his cabinet a few months before the election, not thinking he can win. Boris has a tough time to go, but he has a number of seats that the Labour Party has, but they voted for Brexit. He followed that, and he ended up with a bigger election than Margaret Thatcher had. We had 30 seats that Democrats sat in that Donald Trump won. Of those 30 seats, you could go and you could calculate there was 8.5 million Americans who voted in 2016 but did not vote in 2018. We know who they were. We know where they lived. So when you take a race like Charleston, South Carolina, where Nancy Mace, 
she's an individual and something I did differently this time, I would engage in primaries. Because if you sit back and just wait, who gets through? Is that the best person to win in November? Lots of times that is not true. And it also helps Republican women and minority get a level playing field to win. That was our number one seat. Whereas we lost it in the last election by roughly about 3,800 votes, we would have won it by 30,000 if the turnout was in 2016. So even though they had a competitive Senate race where the Democrat against Lindsey Graham raised more than $100 million, the Democrats are now funding all the ground game. The polling said Nancy was behind the whole time. But I would never give up on the race because I knew when you got back to a normal turnout, presidential turnout with Donald Trump on it, we're going to win. Lo and behold, we won by one point. Of the 29 seats that were competitive, we won every single one of them. What they said was a toss-up. And what I did, I would follow that same pattern where I'd go and look for the very best candidate. And think about what we did in Florida and Miami. Two seats, Maria Salazar, Carlos Jimenez, unbelievable. And those are not Republican seats. Those are Democrat seats. But the issue overwhelmingly was about freedom. And it was the socialist wing of the Democratic Party that had taken over, the defunding of the police. And of all the places, look at California. We won four seats from where we were two years before. Mike Garcia won in that special, but he won again that night. Of those four seats, Donald Trump loses California by $5 million. He loses all four of those seats. Three of them he loses by double digits. But in the home state of Nancy Pelosi, but I proudly say my home state, we beat them. We defeated the incumbents. That proves we could win every single place. Now we're down to a five-seat majority. The Democrats are. That is the slimmest majority they had in more than 100 years. Now let's look forward. Last time, you would have said the Senate had the wind at their back for Republicans. The presidency was a toss-up due to COVID, but everybody guaranteed the Democrats would gain in the House, and they didn't. Well, in this next cycle, if we look to history, the party in power, whoever wins the White House, on average loses 27 seats in that first election. Well, that would be good for us. But there's something that changes in this next election. It's redistricting. Now, if you look at the current numbers of redistricting, who gains and who loses? Not by party, but by state. Well, California, Illinois, New York loses. And for California, it's the first time in the history that it's been a state that it's going to lose. It always gained, except last time it broke even. Now, if I go to the Cook Report, you've got to put that in perspective because the Cook Report said we'd lose 15 seats. They write our initial forecast is that the Republicans might reasonably expect to net zero to 10 seats from new maps. In other words, they could gain all six seats they need for House control from reapportionment and redistricting. The reason why he looks towards that, he sits there and says the latest census estimates suggest Texas and Florida will once again be the big winners, Texas gaining three, Florida gaining two, likely gaining three and two seats respectively. Arizona, Colorado, Montana, North Carolina are on track to gain one seat each. It's also possible Republicans could try to axe Democrat seats in smaller states like Indiana, Kentucky, or Missouri. Democrats' gerrymandering possibilities are more limited. They might be able to squeeze a handful of more seats of Illinois, Maryland, New Mexico, and Oregon. But that's about it. So you're going into play a race where everybody has to run again. Now, I think you're going to start seeing some retirements from some older Democrats who see that the socialist wing of the party, they're going to be primaried or we're going to beat them. 
just like we beat in Minnesota, Michelle Fishbach, beat the sitting chair of the Ag Committee, who's been there more than 30 years. Every time we tried, didn't think they could ever beat him. We beat him in the last race. By the way, I have to comment. My entire career, we kept trying to beat him. We couldn't do it. My hat is off to you. Well, I will tell you, I've tried to beat him since I've been here as well, and he's very, very difficult. But when you go into the modeling, that seat had the highest vote for President Trump that a Democrat held. So people should know where we were to play. But even a very interesting race, I tell you, that broke late that I wanted to win, but we probably just didn't start early enough. Sherry Bustos, the chair of the DCCC, whatever she raised last cycle, I think she probably raised somewhere like five or six million. She spent seven and a half million on her own race when she's a DCCC chair. And then she had the Democratic operation wing, the DCCC come in and the super PAC come in for her, and she barely held on. Now, there are a number of races that, as you know, you didn't win the first time you ran. And we have a number of people like that, like Andy Barr, Steve Stivers, Jackie Worski, And when I look at Maria Salazar and Young Kim from California and Florida, they ran and came close last time, but then they won this time. There are a number of candidates like that, like Wesley Hunt in Texas. If people love John James, Wesley Hunt was his roommate at West Point. He flew Apaches. He ran a very close race. I believe this time he'll win. Alex Carlotto. You might have heard that name in the past. He's one of the three Americans who stopped that terrorist attack on that Paris train. And they made a movie about it, starting his cell. He ran in Oregon against DeFazio. Now, you'll remember DeFazio because he's been here more than 30-some years. And he started the Progressive Caucus with Bernie Sanders. Now, this is Oregon, so people think it would be difficult, right? No, this is a seat that if you looked at the congressional district, Donald Trump in the first election, only lost it by like 500 votes. Well, Alex started, and this is what happens and why some candidates are in sex time. They're new, they're green, and they really don't take off till late in the campaign. So they end up getting 47, 48% of the vote. Well, if they run the next time, they don't start at zero again. They start around 43, 44. And if I was one of those Democrats, I would think about retiring. Ron Kind, I don't think he wins again. Matt Cartwright in Pennsylvania, I don't think he's going to be able to pull it out. If I was him, I probably wouldn't run. Sherry Bustos the same way, or Slocan in Minnesota. Iowa was one of our best states. You had Ashley Henson, who I think is one of the best candidates recruited, win. And then you had Marianne Meeks, who she won with six votes. Two new seats we pulled in Iowa, and the last one we only lost by two points. You lost nationwide. I noticed like in New York as well as Iowa, you were winning a number of very close races. Yeah, it mattered. Every vote mattered. But probably one of the most interesting races, and you have to understand, Newt, we were outspent. So if people were there, and money is important in a race, but not the most important, the quality of the candidate. And there's no better race to show that between Max Rose and Nicole Malatakis, Staten Island. Okay, Max Rose had so much money. And the Democrats put in there, and this is where Bloomberg money would come in. They're paying because the network, as you know, when you go there, it's almost two to three million dollars just a week to be on television. But this is where the power of the message is so much bigger. Max Rose went and walked about defunding the police. Outspend us probably three to one. 
But Nicole Malatakis beat him because her message was stronger. And we actually started running 15-second ads because we couldn't afford 30 seconds. But the message was so powerful, we didn't need the extra 15 seconds. You know, one of the things you did that was maybe historically the most important was you managed to recruit an amazing class of women and I think the largest class of minority candidates we've ever had. How did you go about doing that? Well, I was the recruitment chair in 2010, and I like to look at a lot of metrics. And, and I sat back and looked. There were a number of times where we recruited a number of women, but we didn't elect a lot. Take, for instance, in 2018, when Paul Ryan was chairman, they, they recruited a lot of women. But after the primary, there were only 44 women who got it through the primary that had an opportunity to win in the general. In this cycle, you know how many women passed the primary? 95. So right there, wow. we doubled our odds. And to do that, this is what I did. I would go around looking for people who had the quality to run. And sometimes they would think, well, I don't see a lot of women. I don't see a lot of minorities. And to be truthful, Newt, for a woman Republican or woman minority, winning the general election is not the most difficult one. Winning the primary is more difficult. So what I did was different than some other leaders. I would lean in and I would get involved in some primaries. If I thought they were the very best people to win in the general election, I would engage in the primary. And I put my name on the line. And I felt as though I had to do that for the risk of being able to win seats. Now, if I was to lose, throw me out. But I think in the end, we have now elected more Republican women in this election than at any other time. And I got to be frank, when I sat at the State of the Union, when I became leader and I looked out, you've been there so many times where they stand up and you've had a much better view because you were looking at it from the speaker's point of view where you see everybody. When the Democratic Party stood up and the Republican Party stood up, I thought to myself, this is not reflective of the Republican Party I know. This is not reflective when I go and give a speech and who I look into the crowd. It's not the party of Lincoln where everybody conceived in liberty and everybody's dedicated to the proposition that we're all equal. And so I've got to be able to help with that. And I would go district by district, and I talked to people at the opportunities to run, the opportunities to win. And as I went to campaign, I would say, look, I'm raising money. If I'm able to raise this much money, I'm going to play in this district. So you ought to come in because we're going to be competitive here. And I think it was a lot had to do with the policies of what the Democrats were processing. They had now taken the majority in the House. We watched what they were doing on the socialist agenda, the rise of AOC, and it inspired more women to run. Today in America, our individual and religious liberties are under attack. One of the great challenges of our time is to promote and preserve these sacred freedoms before they disappear forever. On this week's episode of Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell, I discuss how to do just that with the great Dr. Ben Carson, the world-renowned neurosurgeon and former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Dr. Carson just founded a new think tank dedicated to conserving our liberty, helping the vulnerable find hope, and championing conservative solutions to America's problems. Listen to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell every Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think just the day before yesterday, the Democratic Socialist of America actually took control of the Nevada Democratic Party. Yes. In terms of your campaign theme, it's kind of like they have to rush out and brand themselves across their forehead. Yes, we really are socialists. Please don't be confused. But don't you find this rush to the left kind of astonishing? 
oh, unbelievable to happen in our country, but they're embracing it so strongly. And look, you served with Bernie Sanders. I don't know what bill he's ever passed, but he is now the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate. He's always been a socialist and he's always stuck to being a socialist, but that's now what they have become. That's what they believe. And I think if you ever truly spent time with them ahead of time, you knew they thought that. They would talk about it privately, but they never thought they could win it on the outside. Now they're bold. And I believe this. I believe they know they're going to lose in two years, that they know this presidency of Biden, who doesn't profess to do much of anything, but is now looking at this so-called COVID bill that less than 9% is in. They call it the most progressive bill that's ever passed, and that's true. It's unbelievable amount of money that's wasted. But they think they're going to lose in two years, so they're going to do everything the most extreme they can, and that's how they're running Congress as well. I actually share that. I think they decided, looking at 94 when we picked up 54 seats, and 2010 when you were the recruitment chairman and we picked up 63 seats, the only way I can understand what they're doing is that they have literally decided they have two years, get it all done. So Pelosi is literally spending her marginal members. I've never seen anybody as ruthlessly walk the plank with members who are going to be killed by their votes. And you would think those that were able to survive, they would look back at the other 15 that she walked the plank with on votes before. She's not even waiting two years. The amount of damage that she's doing in the first four months is astonishing. I mean, first this spending bill, then she comes back trying to nationalize the elections, to literally change it, to say that you can't show ID, to harvest ballots. I mean, it is true Machiavellian. The power has corrupted so greatly that they want to try to control and guarantee their election despite what the public wants. I think that's right. You've been very, very articulate about what's wrong with the legislation. I was surprised on the very first day that the House rules written by the Democrats excluded mother and father in 29 gender-specific words. Now, you're a Californian, so maybe this makes a little sense to you. But, you know, as a Georgian, it struck me as crazy. It's extremely crazy. And you've been to my part of California, Bakersfield. It's much more like Texas. No, we still believe in a mother and a father. And what's so ironic over where they have gone, I mean, in California and state legislature, they are now going to outlaw, if you go into a department store, that you could have men or women or boys or girls. So where are we going to search for clothes? It's all going to be declined. You're going to have to figure it out yourself. And I agree with you. Having been in Bakersfield often enough, between Bill Thomas and you, it really does not resemble San Francisco at all. The biggest political event we've ever had is still you coming in after getting elected speaker. It's a great event. And I think you were already working in the House by that stage. So you've been part of the family for a long time. But let me focus on two bills in particular that you've been very articulate about. Talk a little bit about this whole H.R. 1 and the way in which the Democrats, I think, have totally misled people about what it's called and what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah, let's talk about that. First of all, for your listeners, you have to understand what H.R. 1 means. H.R. 1 means it's the very first bill of the entire Congress. The majority gets to reserve the numbers 1 through 10. So when we were in the majority, we made our H.R. 1 tax reform. 
So we know what's happening in America today. We've got unemployment. We've got a pandemic. We've got kids out of school. So would you think you'd create something to put people back to work, back to school, back to health? No. Their most important bill is making sure it puts them back to being elected. So H.R. 1 is all about election reform. But let's look at what they mean about election reform. Well, they say you cannot have an ID. And remember, from our Constitution, it's the states that have rights. Well, they make it a national process now. You cannot show an ID to have to vote, so it doesn't matter what the state says. It takes the Federal Election Commission. It's an equal number of Republicans and Democrats who run this. that oversee and look at the elections, look at well, people fund them and everything else. No, 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 no. That should become now partisan. It should be weighted, and there should be one more Democrat than there is Republicans. But to run, you've got to go out and tell people what you believe in. And the people have to support that, so they provide you money, right? It's not taxpayer money, provide you money. Well, no, they change all that. So now the wisdom of what we see, if you get some small dollars, say somebody provides you $200 to your campaign, they like what you're doing. Someone goes online and they send AOC $200 because she wants to make the country more socialist. Well, the moment she gets $200, it's no longer $200. She gets to go to the federal government and say, you owe me $1,200. That's what the bill says. If you could get somebody to give you $200, the taxpayer now has to give you $1,200, and you have to fund whatever she's saying, even though you don't agree with it. They're going to take your tax dollars. It is outrageous. And we now see Their most important issue as a majority party is not the health, not the employment, not kids in school. It's whether they get reelected because they know their policies won't win the vote. They know they're losing based upon it. And they know if their ideas are losers, they're not going to be able to raise enough money. So that's okay. We're going to take it from the government. We're going to rig the system where only we can win. And we're going to continue to stay in power. These are the type of nations around the world that do things like this that we as Americans think is wrong and try to change and topple. Well, it seems to me this is the guaranteed re-election for the machine would be a, a more accurate title. Oh, yes. And I think it's because they're afraid of us. They are. They're afraid of knowing what's going to happen. They cannot win in a fair, level playing field. They cannot win on their ideas. And they truly believe that they are the smartest people and the people out there don't know really what's best for them. And and I say that because I go to my own home state governor, Gavin Newsom, who shut it down. And if you compare California to Florida, it's a great contrast in the futures, right? This is even better. If you look at the future of the Republican Party and the future of the Democratic Party, if you just went back eight months ago, all the Democrats were talking about Gavin Newsom and Cuomo in New York are the future, right? Even that Cuomo maybe should take over for Biden on the ticket so that maybe they can win. Well, you've got Cuomo in New York that's probably going to have to resign. And in California, he's getting recalled. That's their future. Now look to what we have. DeSantis down in Florida, Tim Scott in Charleston, South Carolina, or Christy Nome up in the Dakotas. I think our future is a little brighter because ours is based upon a principle and a philosophy about bringing people more freedom. Now, even What Gavin Newsom said a number of months ago, why he has it all shut down, and all the science is now pointing to that we should be open, we said, well, what is your formula and what is your science of why you keep us shut down? He says, I can't share it with you because you couldn't understand it. 
He didn't say that to me. He said that to everybody in California. They firmly believe, it's kind of like the end justifies the means, that they know enough and you're too dumb, and that's why they have to take care of you and take all your money. You have the same thing where they keep assuming we're so stupid that we don't understand if they cut the police, the crime goes up. But I know you've commented <laughs> on what they call the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which I would call the Pro-Criminal Anti-Cop Act. But do you want to comment just briefly on what you're seeing around the country in terms of literally a direct link between Democrats cutting spending on the police forces and crime going up dramatically in some cases? Dramatically everywhere. What you're seeing now, not only the fleeing of these major cities, and why are they? Crime is one of the number one issues. You go to San Francisco, it's not what it used to be. But let's go to where this all started in Minneapolis. This same city council that voted to defund their police now reversed themselves and are putting millions of dollars in to try to recruit police to come back. We've watched time and again. If you continue to release prisoners out of prison, but they haven't served their time, and if you decriminalize everything, in California, you can steal up to almost $1,000. You can go in a store and see somebody just grab something and walk out, and nothing can happen to them. And it happens. It's just like what Biden is doing on the border. It is now a border crisis because of Biden. When he talks about building back better, I hope he goes and builds back better the border because he's destroyed it. And it's all him to blame. There's no other decision-making except what he removed. And structure dictates behavior. So he took people that were sitting on another side in another country, waiting for asylum, and said, no, come into America while you wait and you go anywhere. Don't test them from COVID. The children are now over in the numbers. And he took away what we had within there about COVID spacing. So now he's putting close together. Don't test them. Continue to go in. He won't let our kids in school, but that's how he treats the others. I mean, to me, hypocrisy of what is happening. Can you explain for a minute, because I'm fascinated by something which I would never have thought of when I was in Congress. So the Democrats want to tear down the wall between the United States and Mexico while they're putting up a razor fence around the U.S. Capitol. Now, Newt, you know this because when you were speaker and you were leader, you become a part of the Gang of Eight. I can't tell you what I hear within there, only what's in public. They try to portray that there's great threat to the Capitol. At the time, there were some threats, but that happens throughout. You know, as a member, you get it as well. So they believe Nancy Pelosi puts up this wall, and it is literally a fence with barbed wire and National Guards all out there, and people cannot even come to the people's house anymore. There is no official threat to us. Even last week, she said on March 4th, there's going to be a big threat. People are going to come back. She canceled Congress. Then she goes to a press conference and says, oh, no, it wasn't about that. Republicans were going to do a retreat. No, we had a retreat on Friday, not on Thursday. It had nothing to do with it. And she couldn't answer for it. It's a tremendous amount of money. It's these poor National Guard people out. And this is what's even worse. The National Guard, as they're out along the fencing, if somebody's climbing the fence, they can't do anything. They have to call the Capitol Police to come over. Why are they there? (laughs) There is no need in the process, but she's trying to make it. Then she has put magnetometers for every House member to walk through before you go onto the floor. Now, the fence is up supposedly to protect from people outside, but now we're having magnetometers and Capitol Police officers all around every door. If you walk into the chambers through the magnetometers and you walk out the back doors to go to the restroom, you've got to walk back through another one to get back in. 
I don't quite understand her thought process on this. And is that the best and highest use for the police officer? It's just crazy. By the way, I just noticed that as an example of your point about shoplifting no longer being prosecutable, I think Walmart has just closed 10 drugstores in San Francisco and said they weren't sustainable. They're not. And now you have Soros not just funding the top Democrats, he's going down to district attorneys. Look what's happening in Los Angeles. It's not just shoplifting you're not getting prosecuted for. You're not getting prosecuted for anything. Homelessness in California was the number one issue until COVID hit. And it's in every single city. There is only one city that is a large city that decreased in homelessness. And that was San Diego. And that was because of a Republican mayor, Kevin Faulkner, that did something different. He didn't let people sleep on the streets. He picked them up and he took them to housing and he trained them and got them into jobs. And the major reasons why for homelessness, drug use. And then the second thing you have, mental illness. But the challenge is these other cities, it just continues to grow. If they take over your streets, you've got to give them a three-day notice before the police can come and do anything. That's amazing. I just had a person tell me a story. He said, I was at this hotel, and there was this family from France. And this man was very excited. He had his wife and his kids. And, you know, he saved up, and he brought his kids to San Francisco, staying in a nice hotel. And he walks outside to go on to a tour. And he said, if you look in the father's eyes, he was shocked about what he saw. The homelessness, the needles, the feces on the sidewalk. I mean, he was scared to death. It's really watching civilization sort of recede in front of this model of left-wing lawlessness. Donald Trump brought in blacks, gays, Latinos, and others who completely transformed the conservative movement, but his absence has brought about some really nutty divisions that are currently rattling the movement. Some black conservatives aren't, quote, black enough, and other conservatives think there are just too many gays. Well, I've got something to say about all of it. Plus, if you thought the Democrats' HR1 for the People Voting Act was a far left power grab, wait until you hear about the amendment that didn't make it in. Listen to Rob Smith is Problematic every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've got a huge election coming up. I do think you're going to be speaker in 2023. But what can people who really care about these issues, what can they do to help make sure that we win and that we have control of the House after the election? Well, they need to join with us. Now, if it's only a five-seat majority in the House, why can't we get five Democrats to not vote for the socialist agenda? Let's speak up, let's be a part of it, and let's join with us. There are better ideas of how to move forward. And what I always say, people, if they go to take the House, Com. There's an opportunity there to join and be a part of something bigger than themselves. You really pushed that last year, and I felt like you had raised a substantial amount of money. I think people can go to winred.com. Yeah, they can't. That was a successful thing. The Democrats had Act Blue, and Republicans had no ability for something like that. We created WinRed in the last cycle, and it's made a real difference. They can look at any candidate around. I remember the number of times you would talk about it, and it seemed to really help. It's helped tremendously. At the same time, it strikes me that when you have this kind of conservative movement and you have people watching the Democrats be so lockstep on behalf of socialism and radicalism that 
people ought to look around for local candidates and see if they can't find somebody they like to get involved with. Help us recruit. Be a part of something. Now, look, when I started recruiting in 2010, I went back and I studied 1994 and 2006. Two times it switched. And the one thing I learned in the first most important thing is the number of candidates that are running. Normally, a minority party would only fill 380 seats when there's 435 because you think other people are not able to be challenged. No minority has won a majority in modern history without least having 420 candidates. Now, when I recruited in 2010, Barney Frank was chairman of the Influential Financial Services Committee. We had the meltdown. He had all the banks in control and everything else. Massachusetts had no Republican representing in Congress. But by the time that election came, Barney Frank had to go to his own community bank and borrow $250,000 to save his own seat. We beat sitting committee chairman that year. Obi decided to retire because he couldn't win his election. And what happens is, and it wasn't people who've run before. These are people who believe. I'll give you an example. Will Hurd, who was an amazing member of Congress, has a district that has the largest border in the nation, right? It goes from El Paso to San Antonio, predominantly Hispanic district. He would win it by very close margins, and people believed when Will Hurd retired, there was no chance of another Republican to win. And Democrats said, oh, we've got this race. They actually gave the candidate, raised her like $3 million in the first month. I didn't believe we should give up on that race. Go down there. Not somebody who ever ran before. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez grew up in that district. He came from a broken home where he had to go and be raised by his grandparents. He joins the Navy at 17. He serves 20 years in the Navy, rising up to the highest you can in the unlisted. He says, you know what? I'm frustrated. What's going on? I'm going to run. He gets into the primary. I actually endorsed him. The president came in and endorsed him. He wins the primary by less than 20 votes. He just won the general that no one gave him a chance by a higher margin than Will Hurd did. That was really surprised by that. that I thought that was a remarkable race and a great achievement. What it took is exactly what you were just talking about to your listeners. You're sitting back and you get frustrated with what you're watching. You think, what can I do? You know, I don't know any elected officials and I'm just here and I'm just frustrated. I may be a small business owner. You may be a good candidate or you may know somebody who would be a good candidate. And you know what? Pick up the phone, call us. That's great. Listen, Kevin, I want to thank you. You're doing an amazing job. And I want you to know that anything I can do to help, I will. And I hope our listeners will take the same attitude we have a real chance for a genuinely historic election in 2022. And watching you receive the gavel in January 23 would be truly a wonderful and heartwarming thing for me, but also patriotically for the country, a dramatic change in the right direction. Well, if that is to happen, I want you there, Newt. It's going to be a big day for all the nation. It'll be fun. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to my guest, Leader Kevin McCarthy. You can read more about the 2022 midterm elections and how to support Republican candidates on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show 
was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.